Good morrow to you all. You have fallen on bad times. Brought to you by the Royal Holloway Shakespeare Society. You join me, Theo Dudridge. And me, Lynn Biles, as we bear some bardy truths. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Bar Times. This week we are joined by the incredible Karen Freen. Say hi, Aww. Karen. Hello. <laughs> I didn't I wasn't expecting to be called incredible. Hi. Hello, Karen. Uh, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um yeah, busy, busy times ahead. Oh yeah. Busy times ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um as you don't know, Karen is an MA student currently, so mm-hmm. um, dealing with all of that fun stuff. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Fun stuff is definitely a way to describe it. It's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, degree stuff can be fun. Uh, busy, oh, it is, yeah, it is very fun, but, you know, it's, it's still a master's degree, so I am still flying by the seat of my pants. <laughs> but other than that, I'm, I'm having a great time. You'll have to see it. Uh, You'll have to see it. Uh, so, Karen Freen um, has done many things at this uni um, through her undergrad years and uh, even MA stuff now, which we'll get onto in the episode in a bit. Uh, she was the artistic director for Coriolanus in her second year. She was the publicity officer for Drama Society in her third year. Uh, in first year, she was in Zero Hundred Hours, uh, A451, and has done various things for student workshops, Matt B. Uh, she directed five women wearing the same dress in her mm-hmm. second year, which was an incredible production. Thank um, you. She also performed in The Fever, directed by James Shannon for Rucker Theatre Company. And you've also done two VR workshops with Nexus and Darkfield. So, um, as mentioned earlier, you've been involved with a number of different uh, societies in your time at Royal Holloway. Uh, how have you found um, your experience with all of these throughout your undergrad years at uni? Um, well, I don't know how to explain this. It's a great experience, regardless of yeah. uh, anything that might be going on within your actual degree. It's a great experience to get involved with any society, even if you're into like uh, witchcraft or the occult. We have a, in a uh, you know a society for that. If you're into flipping learning Italian. Like, the, we have such a variety of societies, yeah. so I, I feel like, regardless of what you're into, you should always get involved. With performing arts, it's such a different experience, though, especially at a university level, um, yeah. just because there's so much that goes into actually learning about teamwork and how committees run and what exactly, you know... Um, what influences committees' decisions and what influences a crew's decision and a team's decision. It's, it, it is a very enlightening experience and a very um, interesting experience, you know, going into this type of field. You know, what exactly are, you know, theatre companies looking to do and looking at it from the microcosm of a university society so i i always recommend like when undergrads are like oh i don't know exactly what to do (laughs) because i have all this free time and i haven't you know i haven't done this that or the other i'm always like get involved with a society regardless of what it is you need to have that experience it's it's almost a must for you yeah it's a great time claim and make the argument that 
societies help your mental health and I do think there are aspects that do and yeah. I'm I'm not arguing that it doesn't I would more say instead of looking at it from oh I want to help my mental health or I want to you know um have something that's completely stressless rather look at it as I want to have an experience that's outside my degree that is something that's passion filled yeah it helps your mental health but it's by no means not stressful. <laughs> yeah. I, I am speaking as someone who has taken on small roles in Map B, which is literally a few weeks of rehearsals. Yeah. And been like, oh, this will be a nice little thing. No, <laughs> it is nice. It's nice to be on a, it's nice to be on a stage. It's nice to be involved with a team, but it is, it is stressful. And I'm, I, yeah. I, I don't think anyone should tell you that it's not because that's just that's false advertisement if you're going <laughs> to get involved in a society and you're going to take on you know some of the responsibility of doing something and working in a team yeah be ready for the work that's involved it's great work yeah. and i'm glad i did it but my god <laughs> <laughs> i mean you know because you also directed a show um and if anyone here watching this or is looking into being involved on a show crew either next year or next term or for something pretty different is a lot of commitment to sort of do um if you if you want uh, do you want to give a little insight as to how you found directing a show in your second mm. year well you know i adored it honestly i did but like I said, it was it was incredibly stressful. There were times where I genuinely had like 50 things to do in one day. And yeah. the thing is, I was fully prepared for that. I was fully prepared for that because I had worked with directors before. I had worked with people here at this university who had told me they had woken up at like 10 a.m. on a usual day or 9 a.m. to start their day and then they were greeted with like 15 messages <laughs> from mainly I would like to point out their D uh, DSM or you know uh, but that you know that's part of the role it's part of it you yeah. have to prepare to do that um, so that's that's rule number one for me is if you really think I want to do this I want to I'm, I'm a little bit of a tough love type of person. So yeah. I always start with the bad news, which is <laughs> it's a lot of work and yeah. be, do be prepared for it to be a lot of work. Even if it's remote, it is a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and from then, if you're like, yes, I can do it. I can, I can do it. Great. You've got the hard part down. You've got down the expecting to do a lot. What is it that you want to do? with the piece that you have um with five women i wanted to do a comical production um that hit on a lot of dark topics for women and wasn't necessarily the most politically correct i'm i'm going to be the first one to say that five women is not politically correct i am fully going to be the one that says that and the reason why I still did it was because I saw this play more as a microcosm of how women were treated during the 90s and how they treated each other during the 90s. And that was why I wanted to do the play. From there, I built off of my idea, okay, that's why I want to do it. What theatrical um, decision should I then make 
to make that the product of what I do. You know, um, I wanted it to be a microcosm that showed how women were treated and how they treated each other. Realism then, because I want yeah. them to be realistic characters. And then from there, you just do the work. You get the cast, you make the bid, you get the team. And from there, you, you make your decision on all these aspects and then you bring your actual initial idea of what you wanted to do to life and it in my in my head once you do that once you make that first decision your final your final pro uh, product or productions will be the most succinct thing that you can create and the most like theatrically effective thing you can create you raised some excellent points though i think coming up with any show there there's always is a reason there's always a drive as to why this show at this time yeah and i remember seeing five women and quite a lot of people who i was with were like this is one of the best shows i've seen on campus i think because what worked really well is you had a small cast and you could really mm. focus on the individual characters and really yeah. kind of get the most out of them in the space that you had and time that you had which i think worked really well and speaking of getting the most out of characters in a yes. i say a short space of time yeah. but just be getting the most out of a character um mm. last year you were involved in a uh one uh one act play the fever by wallace sean yeah. uh, which was directed by james shannon in the comfort of our own student home yes um so this play was rehearsed and performed uh sort of during both lockdowns you experienced both uh online rehearsals before we moved in together as a group and uh rehearsals kind of in person in the home um and then it was like, eventually recorded in the home um so what was that experience like for you having to kind of come up if i come up with this character but like develop this character one-on-one -on -one with your director like what was that mm. experience like for you as a performer oh my gosh okay well firstly i would like to thank you for the compliments on five women uh, i appreciate that um it was a weird experience <laughs> I am, listen, I'm very honest, it was a very weird experience, not because <laughs> of how the director was going about it, uh, James Shannon is a very good director, uh, I would say a very talented director, and especially yeah. how he approached the entire thing, like how he went about all of his decision making, made it so that I would be comfortable, and I would attack attack i would attack this <laughs> performance in the right way and yeah. i would learn the lines and i would do it was 90 minutes of dialogue um yeah. all in all all of which that i halfway through learned i was dyslexic so there was a lot going on yeah that was yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i learned i was dyslexic and also there was a lockdown and then there wasn't a lockdown and then there was another one it was it was a lot um and you know there was a lot going on in both of me and james's personal lives and then the actual performance itself took seven months of preparing and honing and you know it was strenuous um but how we went about it was the fever is based off of a uh, person uh, originally a man but because it was me playing it they decided we should just make them 
very gender ambiguous and to be honest the script itself was gender ambiguous so it didn't really yeah. matter um but um this woman is learning um that everything that she believes in her middle class life is not actually true um and that she needs to rethink everything of you know politically and and um you know it's it's a communist um what's it called a communist um speech so there's a lot of socialism that goes into it and all of that you know stuff which during the wake of uh the blm protests and yeah. boris johnson's um um what's it called i believe he was put into office not put into office but put put into the role as prime minister during this time whilst yeah. we were de developing the script it was it was such a weird time to be making theater like that it and then presenting it and putting it on a zoom um production within my own living room it was honestly it, it this is going to sound very dramatic I don't care it <laughs> did change my outlook it really did it changed who I am and and how I think about things because it was such an innately personal performance because of just the situations we were in and yeah. it was enlightening I know I use that word a lot but I don't know how else to describe it as that as anything else but enlightening yeah no absolutely I mean being there throughout the process as well like it was great to kind of see your kind of uh character development um and the overall kind of piece kind of go as well i mean a bunch of technical stuff kind of was thrown our way throughout kind of how we would actually put this piece together i know mm -hmm. at one point we talked about garden performances um, oh my gosh like, yeah like a garden tour um we tried to do like a montage recording thing we then ended up doing it as one long recording yeah um, like national theater style with multiple camera angles um which is what we went for in the final thing um but yeah it was a really it was a really nice production to be a part of um it's definitely something to kind of include on the old cv when it comes around this was all done during your third year as well so i remember like you had a lot going on sort of degree wise obviously we both shared shakespeare on camera as a module that we did um i've done just done it you did it last year um but another thing which um i know you were working quite a lot on in your third year apart from fyp was your um special project uh, your third year special project which for you was adapting uh hp lovecraft's in the mountains of madness into a vr uh performance vr experience um, what was that process like for you adapting the story? Um, and how did you kind of come up with the concept and eventually, um, devise it? I say devise it, conceptualize it and go into, cause it was a detailed ass script. Let me mm -hmm. tell you that. It started firstly with just a love for HP Lovecraft's work, not him his work <laughs> for anyone I'm very clear <laughs> yes i need to be very clear that man is a terrible man and i will go on record and say it karen freen <laughs> said in 2022 that she hates hb lovecraft but loves his work um 
but he you know created a lot of work and he invented cosmic horror cosmic horror for people who do not know is um horror that's related with existentialism essentially looking at who are we in the eyes of you know of our big cosmic place on this on this realm like who are we we are specks of dust in a space that is huge and expanding and it was horror laced with that and he creates um he has created a bunch of creatures and monsters to get this point across and some of his planets from it have come from all of uh, from that initial idea as well um the most famous being cthulhu yeah. um if you do not know it, cthulhu comes from this man's brain um at the mountains of madness um i you know learned about at the mountains of madness um when i was reading through um my giant book of all of his completed fictions which i'm literally staring at right now um <laughs> But I was reading, I was flicking through it and I saw At the Mountains of Madness. It's one of his most known pieces and it is set in Antarctica. Um, this man, you know, he wrote during the 1920s and um, going to Antarctica and going to these kind of remote places was a new concept for sure, um, even though there were already people there but we're not you know going to get into that too much um but you know from a, a westerners standpoint going to those areas was a, a new concept for them and there was definitely some horror related to it um there was definitely some fear of what is there what do we know about these areas we don't know much it's you know it's the 1920s they didn't know a huge amount um so he wrote this and he had this idea that spoilers there's aliens there and um people are these these um what's it called these university um staff are going there and they're they're looking and they see the aftermath of an alien abduction essentially and i loved it <laughs> i loved it um just because it was looking at instead of the initial abduction it was looking at the aftermath of it which i never even considered like it was looking at how an alien civilization would leave their entire livelihoods and and how they would evolve in a remote place um on earth and how all of that would look to just you know three men visiting antarctica um and from that, I kind of questioned, you know, why hasn't HB's work been done, uh, or rather Lovecraftian horror been done in um, a theater setting? And I found out it's because it's really difficult. Um, you know, as I said, cosmic horror is all about existentialism and it's all about questioning who you are and through books that's pretty easy to do because books are incredibly immersive you can have it from your point of view you are the guy that's in you know the the alien aircraft you are the guy that's in antarctica um but when you're watching a piece of theater you are not in it you are watching it 
Um, it's the same with films. They find that they have a lot of difficulty with making films that are Lovecraftian horror as well. Um, one of the most successful now is um, uh, Lovecraft Country, and that's because they figured out how to do it um, whilst implementing kind of the racial aspects that um, H.P. Lovecraft ignored in his pieces. So I think it is a very, very good, um, you know, TV show. Uh, but regardless, there have been several attempts and there have been not many successful ones. Um, so I was questioning, you know, how do you add that immersive, you know, aspect into theater? And the best way is through VR. Um, and I had this idea kind of like, <laughs> kind of like London Dungeon, essentially. Yeah. But, but like a leveled up London Dungeon of, you know, you have a headset wearer, you have two actors, and these actors are the original characters within the book. You are an added character, and you are looking at everything that they look at, and it ends how the book ends. And it is the best way, in my eyes, or at least in my eyes at the time, of making it as immersive as possible whilst still adding the horror aspect that is very successful within VR already. Yeah, um, absolutely. Like that's, that's all incredible stuff. Um, I was quite lucky enough to actually see at least a draft or maybe in the finished product of the script and um i think you saw the finished one i think i saw yeah i saw i saw quite a few versions i think i remember <laughs> i remember you having to color code a lot of things and break down mm. certain points but it was very technical it wasn't just yeah. a case of you had fixed lines for the actors there were like choices as well that you had to bear in mind and options as well that could come up and i guess describing the virtual environment that you yeah. had to set it in um so could you go into a bit more detail about what that oh, process gosh. was like trying to technically piece together this script yeah um okay well i don't know how to explain this via audio i'll try my best um i essentially had diagrams of where the actors had to go um and i okay. did this and and these diagrams were a, 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 what's it called? Like a floor map? A floor yeah, map? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like when you're viewing a house, all those, all those <laughs> tenants out there, you know what I'm Ooh. talking about. When you're viewing a house and you're looking at the floor map and you see, oh, that's where the bedroom is. That's where the, you know, the landing is. That essentially, I had to do that for every space that the actors would be in. And I had to color code it. Um, this area is red, this area is pink, this area is green. And if the action was happening in that area, the text that I was using would be that color. So in the red area would be red text. And so I would say on the floor, there are doctor's notes, for example, and that would all be in red text. Um, so it was a very colorful script, let's just <laughs> say the least. Um, and this was for aid of, you know, this, this, I would say this is an industry standard, but the industry is so young, there isn't yeah. really a standard yet. Every, every company works differently on how they do this. I just found that this was the best that I could find, like the best, uh, best method. 
and it was one that was used by a few um, VR creators already. Mm. Um, so I decided that would work and it was standard format of a script just with a bunch of colors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the best way I can describe it. So hopefully that's clear. What did you have to do in order to research before like setting it out? in in the way that you set it out <laughs> i had to research how people in the 1920s visited antarctica <laughs> like i had nice. to actually, i had to look at what they brought uh what universities did when they visited antarctica firstly not many did this was kind of like a like a, a false thing that hb had actually i keep calling him hb that lovecraft had come up with yeah um and so I had to search up, you know, the contextual things, especially related to uh, an era that is definitely not now. Um, yeah. I had to search up 3D real time, uh, which to give a very um, brief synopsis is essentially a lot of video game companies, Ubisoft included, Sony included, use 3D real time. They, um, it's, motion capture um so people with like the ping pong balls and everything on them yeah who who go in front of a camera and then they 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 capture their motion literally yeah. um but then it the director can see what they look like in game yeah so they actually can see them as the actors moving they can see it it's like a live performance for the director that they then record and put in, you know, Uncharted or, yeah. or, you know, Assassin's Creed. So, and this is something that's come about very, uh, actually Mandalorian is starting to use it. Um, yeah. they're, they're like one of the biggest names at the moment that used 3D real time. So it's definitely becoming like a, um, a thing that cinema is trying to actually incorporate into their practice. Um, and I looked into that mainly because what if the monitor that the director was seeing was, was, was within the headset? So the actors are all live. They're all actually there. They can touch the person who's wearing the headset. They can touch it and they can move things around. And it is all VR and it's all realistic VR. So the horror is so much scarier because yeah. you actually have been touched by this man. You actually have been like patted on the back or, you know, uh, given like a, the thumbs up to. So you know he's there. And then you see an alien behind him. That was something that I really wanted. Like I really wanted the horror to be as horrific as possible um, because I'm a maniac. Um, no, because also it, it helps the cosmic horror and that's why yeah. I wanted to do it. Um, so I had to look into that aspect as well. Uh, what else did I look into? Oh, and then just, you know, formatting for actual VR scripts and how exactly people like Punch Drunk and like, um, what's it called? Like uh, <laughs> even London Dungeon or yeah. any of these immersive places. How do they actually set out scripts? yeah no that's that's absolutely incredible i mean you're currently studying um an ma in immersive storytelling mm -hmm. um 
here at Royal Holloway. So yep. with all kind of that in mind and what you've sort of learned on the course so far last term and uh, this term so far, mm-hmm. um, what has that experience been like and what sort of things um, have you had to do as part of the course? Oh my god. Okay, so I had to make a 3D mesh of my face recently. That was Woo! Woo! Uh, I made a 3D mesh of my face and I added my own motion capture so I was able to move it. Um, I have written stuff. I've, I've written more scripts. I've done a lot of lab work. So I've actually worked with the engineers within Royal Holloway to... Okay. Yeah, to, to create like, um, what's it called? Immersive technology. So actually looking at the equipment that people use within uh, VR and how exactly, you know, how exactly do they um, get uh, artistically inspired, let's say. <laughs> um, so that aspect of it and also looking at actually developing my own skills. I've uh, Like I said, I made the 3D mesh of my face. Um, I also wrote um, a, a VR adaptation of Eros and Psyche. Oh, um, nice. Uh, yeah, honestly, it's one of my favorite things that I've done recently. And it's <laughs> um, it's kind of like a an animation style of it. So, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of artistically looking at what VR can do and why exactly choose do does a um creative choose vr that sounds absolutely incredible and um yeah that really nicely leads me on to my next <laughs> kind of creative question that i've got lined up for you brilliant um, i'm helping no, you it's you great. are you are it's it's a nice little segue um <laughs> but yeah with all that in mind and also with your work having done um your hp lovecraft adaptation yeah um how would you go about potentially adapting a work of Shakespeare for a VR experience, either mm-hmm. educational or as a performance, whatever yeah. you kind of want to do with the knowledge of Shakespeare that you have? Well, source some ideas. Oh, oh my gosh. So, well, I actually have worked. So you, you brought up the, the workshop that I did with Nexus. Yeah. The workshop that I did with Nexus, we actually did a production of The Tempest. Um, a very small production of the tempest let's say it was it was one actress she was playing caliban miranda and ariel and we switched between avatars and the reason we did it was to kind of look at it of how can this be an educational resource let's say for a, a you know a class that was learning um some sort of shakespeare text or how could this be used with theater companies so that's why we did it so i have actually seen it done um and also looking at dream by the royal shakespeare company okay um that is you know during 2021 they created um a vr experience that people could view at home during lockdown that was based off of uh, midsummer night's dreams characters Oh, that's nice. It is. It is a really cool piece. I haven't been able to view it, um, yeah. but it, it, I've looked at stills of it, and it is very interesting. Um, if I were to personally create something, I, hmm, <laughs> I've got to think about this. 
Um, I mean, I, I'm a sucker for King Lear. Um, and I would nice. love to, cause King Lear, there is a lot of travel. Um, yeah. you know, you're going from the, the seas of uh, some part of England to the <laughs> middle of uh, a field to then back, like up south or, or wherever. Yeah. It is a lot of traveling. <laughs> so what I would really love is like with VR being able to, you know, actually input that, you know, sense of travel through giving people, like actually making them feel like they're actually there. Um, I would also, firstly, creating anything for VR, there is so much you can do with location and Shakespeare loved being in the middle of Europe or, you know, he loved being like, oh, okay, guess what? We're in Germany now. Like he loved it. <laughs> so I think in that essence, you can, even if you're looking at how can I do a really realistic adaptation of Shakespeare? If you want to do it in VR and be in the middle of France, you can. Um, <laughs> and you would actually feel like you are in France. That's the, the beauty of it. Um, what I would love to do is put people in impossible places. I, I, so you have that aspect of putting them in the middle of like realistic places. Imagine yeah. a production of The Tempest where you are you know, talking to air, you're not talking, but Ariel's talking to you. And then Ariel goes under the sea, under the sea, sorry. But Ariel, <laughs> you know, dives into the sea yeah. and starts using their magic. And you are under the sea with Ariel. Or Ariel goes up high and flies above, you know, the, the ship. And you are with Ariel. Or Caliban is digging into the earth and he, you know, digs himself so far underground and you're with him. All of that stuff, I think, is so powerful. So I would, I would love to look at The Tempest. I started it within that workshop. I would love to actually create something that looked at how, you know, magic can be presented through an immersive experience. That, that is incredible. Um, <laughs> Thank yeah. you. I, I think as well with, you know, looking at the Tempest, there is so much potential to show, like, the whole shipwreck. Like, mm. Imagine um, experiencing the notions of, like, a shipwreck in VR. Yeah. You could have, um, obviously, the VR headset, but if you staged it in a place with... I say, uh, from experiences of, like... Uh, 4d or 5d cinema where you're on like moving chairs or something yeah. like that having like a moving stage so it like turns it can like rock up and mm. down so it's almost like you're on something and you feel like you're being raised and lowered at the same time as you're in this experience like exactly. maybe having actors interact with you and seeing how that goes in that sense but yeah i think there's so much you can do especially with technology and sort of what um theaters have been able to do uh what buildings have been able to do by adding and renovating things if only yeah. money was not an issue but um oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but technologically the potential to do all of that um and still kind of 
drive home like different feelings that you wouldn't necessarily have been able to get by just reading or performing a text alone it's very rare that you actually get to experience the events of a shakespeare play and i think you know a play like midsummer you have so many uh moments of just fun chaos um and you can actually just feel kind of at ease at peace with what's going on around you and you can laugh along with the hilarity and the chaos that's just going on on stage but with you know for example the events of Macbeth um there's a lot of violence that's going on say (laughs) with the events of uh, like Macbeth or uh, King Lear or Titus there is just so much um kind of death around and just yeah kind of marketed it right you could really kind of drive home like a horror experience similar to your uh, exactly craft concept there's just a lot you can do with VR, and I think... Yeah, because, yeah, like, think about when you're playing, you know, Assassin's Creed, or you're, like I, like I mentioned, Assassin's Creed, or, or um, Uncharted, those two yeah. come to mind a lot, because you said shipwreck. When yeah. you see an actual shipwreck, and actors reacting to that shipwreck, it's a completely different experience in theatre, because you see actors reacting, but you don't actually see the shipwreck. And then, let's say you watch film yes you see the shipwreck and actors reacting to it but you're not interacting with it then to add even that that's the magic of it and i think that would be so so cool for anyone that's watching shakespeare because shakespeare like you said there's so much death and there's so much you know stuff that happens (laughs) way to really summarize it there's a lot of stuff that happens (laughs) imagine actually being able to feel like you know you are a part of the world that Shakespeare has made that is yeah I think that's incredible um exactly just uh, I've ran out of words but yeah no absolutely (laughs) I I completely agree with you I think it not only would aid as a great kind of educational tool because there's always that debate um, I know one of the most frequently discussed topics in academic discussions as of late is like Shakespeare in schools. How did people's education of Shakespeare kind of differ? Was it effective? Was it not? I think VR and the way that technology is kind of evolving and advancing today, yeah. I think there is so much you can do with that as an educational tool to really kind of immerse people and get them to understand uh the goings on and the works of shakespeare exactly and another thing sorry i like i said okay. I'm talking forever um <laughs> but another thing is like i think personally and people can disagree with me if they would like but i think that the reason that shakespeare has stayed so alive in everyone's you know world in in the world of theater is the adaptations that come from shakespeare there, yes. there are so many traditionalists who may disagree with me and you know I, I think I think there is something to be said about how he originally saw his work and how beautiful his words are and we should look at that aspect of it but the reason why it comes up a lot there's a, a reason why there's so many productions of Macbeth, Hamlet, Romeo and Juliet is the adaptations that come from it and what is the best way to adapt you know a piece than actually using the technology that's available to us you know yeah making an adaptation you know royal shakespeare company has made an adaptation 
because of the political situations that we were all in of, you know, being locked up and also the fact that they had the technology. So yeah. why, why wouldn't we actually reflect on the work, the world that we have? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's quite nice. Once again, um, the whole thing about adaptations kind of leads, leads this conversation, um, I'm gonna start that again. I started so many times. It's okay. Hold on. I think the whole thing of adaptation as well, it's great that you've sort of brought that up. Um, it nicely segues onto uh, the news section for this week. Um, so yesterday, um, well, as of recording this episode, um, on Thursday, the information mm -hmm. video for, no, hold on. On Wednesday, the information video for Fresh Folio has just come out, and as this episode goes live, the info pack will also have gone out at that point. So for those of you who don't know um, what Fresh Folio is... Who what have, is it, Theo? I'll tell you what it is, Karen. Oh my god! Um, Fresh Folio is a chance for uh, anyone both outside society and in the society uh, currently at this uni to perform Shakespeare outside of the kind of usual show kind of setting. Um, we're looking for people to perform uh, monologues or duologues. Um, if you want to showcase a small scene from a Shakespeare play, if you have a concept in mind to bid um, that scene from that play for a potential show, you can do that. If you want to do a sonnet because you want to, why not do it? Um, or if you want to have a go at writing um, for writing some original piece inspired by Shakespeare or Shakespeare's contemporaries, uh, you can do that. Um, we'll be performing in medicine on the 20th of March, but we're looking for people to submit ideas to us. We have Benice Saunders as our dramaturg, who is there to kind of help you um, if you need it to cut your script, understand the language, um, help fully form your idea. She's going to be on hand throughout the submission process. And if your piece gets accepted, helping you to kind of conceptualize it and fully realize the potential of your work. Um, there's so much um, that's sort of going on with Freshfolio. It's new to Shakespeare society. We're looking for literally anyone and everyone to get involved. So if you think it's something you'd be interested in, either submitting work or performing, it would be great to see you along. Um, now I'm interested. <laughs> nice, nice. I'm um, too busy, Theo. Why did you get me? Oh. So I think that's all we have time for on today's episode. So thank oh. you very much for being. I know, so sad. Thank you very much for being my uh, special guest, Karen. The pleasure is all mine, Theo. Incredible thank you for stuff. having me. Incredible stuff. Thank you very much for tuning in to this episode of Bard Times. I've been your host, Theo Dudridge, and in the words of the Bard himself, give me an ounce of civet, good apothecary to sweeten my imagination. Take care, everyone. Take care.